You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. Sister Carter, they're away in Newfoundland. They're guiding the Bible college students all around the province to each church that's there. He'll be back on Tuesday, but in his stead, he has asked me to speak. But I can tell you that there is a call that's going out right now to God's church. He's wanting to speak to us here this morning. Let's pray one more time that God's will will be done in this service. Join with me as we pray. God, we are so thankful. Oh, God, we're so thankful. We're thankful for your presence, God. God, we pray that your will would be done here this morning, that every heart that's in this place, all those that are watching and listening online, every stony heart, God, would be made of clay in your presence, that it could be moldable and shapeable by you, Lord, I pray just that you would speak into our hearts, into our lives, Lord, shift our atmosphere. In Jesus' name, we give you all praise. We give you all praise. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Praise your name, Jesus. Amen. I haven't even started my message yet, and I'm already already crying. Thank you, music team. You may be seated. I ran away from home once. Well, my wife says it's not called running away from home. She said it's called marriage. But in all seriousness, I I did try to run away from home when I was little. I got angry, I got rebellious, I was tired of letting my parents tell me what to do. I was tired of their rules, and so I went into my room and I started packing up my things in a suitcase. I don't know what I was packing. Hockey cars and bubble gum, probably. But I remember making it pretty far. I I got all my stuff packed up in the suitcase, and I went out the front door, and I was not planning on returning. I got everything packed up, and I headed out of the door, and I remember making it pretty far. I mean, I I got as far as our driveway with my suitcase, and I realized I I needed to just come home. Did you ever run away from home or seriously consider it before? I'm not looking for confession here this morning. I just want want a, a little bit of recognition here this morning that you've been in the same place as me. Maybe you've had that sort of similar experience yourself. Chances are that you probably did. And a large problem, a large part of the reason that you did was because you were tired of being underneath that oppressive yoke of your parents. You know, perhaps you thought that you knew better than what they did as to what was best for your life. Maybe all the chores and curfews, telling you what you could, who you could hang out with and the nagging about your schoolwork. It was probably more than you could bear. 
Maybe it seemed to you that your parents placed these rules and there's these restrictions over you because they like to assert their authority. And it sure didn't occur to you at that time that all these things were done out of love, maybe even sometimes out of tough love. This morning, we are going to take a look at what is probably the most famous parable of Jesus recorded in the scriptures. In Luke chapter 15, Christ begins talking about lost things. He talks about a lost coin. The person turned their house upside down just trying to find it. Maybe you've been there yourself with the way that inflation rates are here right now. Turning your house upside down just trying to find that lost coin in the couch. Jesus tells a story about a lost sheep as well. The shepherd in the story has 100 sheep and he leaves the 99 to go after the one who strayed. And then he tells about a father who has two sons. And that's where I want us to focus on this morning. Jesus, in all of these stories, was responding to the criticisms that he had from spiritual leaders of Israel. Christ had been eating with sinners. How dare he? And religious leaders of the day were enraged at how much time this so-called rabbi was spending with sinners. And they began judging Christ for it, and instead of answering them directly, he goes into these sets of parables, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. By the time he reaches his third parable about lost things, we can see that he is showing us what we are and what we can become in him. He shows the heart of the Father and what he desires for us. So this morning, I want to speak to you on this topic just come home. Just come home. Jesus begins this final parable by saying in Luke chapter 15, verse 11, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portions of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. This father in the story has property and riches, and his youngest son wanted his inheritance early. He wanted what was coming to him. And the Jewish leaders, hearing this statement about this young man, they would have been livid. This boy was guilty of sin, one of the worst sins a Jew could commit. Asking for his inheritance early was like burying his parents before they were dead. It was basically like saying, I wish you would drop dead. I can't wait any longer for your money. The Pharisees, they knew the Ten Commandments front to back, back to front, however you want to to bring them to them. And the fifth commandment was, honor your father and your mother. And this obviously wasn't honoring them. They would have been so mad. This was the lowest of the lows. Tell us who this son is, and we will deal with him ourselves. Not only had he taken the father's wealth, he had moved out of the land which the Lord had given them. He would have been despised in their eyes. To them, his sin was unforgivable. His sin was worthy of death. He may enjoy the fruits of his father's labor, but not for long as he was walking out of the blessing of God. But the Bible says that the father, he divided onto them his living anyways. Imagine the father's anguish as he took stock of all that he had, all that he owned, and he began to share it between his two sons, two parts for the eldest son and one part for the youngest. All of his possessions were separated, buildings, animals, servants, jewelry, clothing, and land. Some of it may have been sold in order to give the boy cash. 
The Bible tells us, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. Here was a son leaving town with a third of his father's possessions. This young man would have had a caravan of wagons, animals, servants following him out of town. He was probably feeling pretty good about himself. And he went, the Bible says, to a far country. Now, a far country does not have to be very far away at all. It merely means being out from underneath the influence of the Father. Hear me this morning. Far away doesn't have to be very far at all. It simply just means far enough away that you're no longer underneath the influence of the Father. We don't have to venture very far from Calvary to walk away from the influence of our Heavenly Father. The Bible goes on to tell us the story. It says, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. We do not know what he did. All we know is that he wasted what he was given. In the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, he records for us that he tried all kinds of things in order to satisfy the longings of his heart. He had a void in him because he had moved away from his relationship with God. He who had been given wisdom wasted it. He abused it. He used it in order to fulfill his desires, but his desires were never quenched because they were temporary. He started off by saying, I said in mine heart, we can see it in Ecclesiastes, he, says, he, he starts off this book by saying, I said in mine heart. And he concludes with just pouring out his heart. He tells in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1, Don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your Creator. Honor Him in your youth before you grow old and say life is not pleasant anymore. He says, I had a lot of money. I could afford to use it on whatever I wanted. But it never brought me any satisfaction. Instead, I've learned this. Remember who created you. Because he is the only way. Returning to the story of the prodigal, we see that when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. It is obvious that all those fair-weather friends that he had when he had a lot of money had now deserted him. And now, for the first time since he, lost, since he, since he left his father's house, he began to be in want. He had come to the end of the road. And the Bible says, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. The word join would have been quite significant to the hearers of Christ. It was so close to their understanding of their practice of entering into a covenant with someone or something. Joined is just like a covenant. He was in a foreign country among Gentiles. That was not illegal. However, a Jew in another land had to live a certain way. Be ye separate, saith the Lord. But as we know, he lost his way, wasted the blessings that were given to him, and now he finds himself begging. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine, the Bible says, and now we see the extent of his circumstances. Pigs are seen as unclean creatures to the Jews. And in the lowest place of this young man's life, he finds himself caring for the pigs. If that wasn't enough, the Bible goes on to tell us that he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. How hungry would you have to be in order to eat pig's food? 
I don't know if you've ever owned pigs or if you've ever been to a zoo or a farm where pigs are, but what they deliver to them is not, is not pleasing to the eyes. Just imagine all the leftovers that have been gathered, all mixed up into one group of slop that's then put out into the hot sun in a trough and fly swarming around it. And the Bible tells us that this young man, he was so hungry that that looked good to him. He got to the bottom of where he could possibly go. He was so desperate that that looked good to him. The Bible, it makes it very graphic. The young man was so hungry that he wanted to stuff himself with the food which the pigs were eating. The Bible says, and no man gave unto him. He did not receive anything from anybody in his deepest, darkest moment. It seemed as if no one cared. No one was there for him. He was a total loss, a hopeless case. Jesus, he doesn't stop the story there. Aren't you glad that he hasn't stopped the story in your life when you were at your deepest, darkest moment? The Bible tells us this. It says that when he came to himself, something shifted in his mind. He finally realized what state that he was in. And the Bible says, and when he came to himself, the NIV says, and when he came to his senses, he had failed as a son, and in his shame he realizes something. He says, how many hired servants of my father's have enough bread, enough, and to spare? And here I am perishing with hunger. His father was considered a good master to his servants from this text. He gave them enough to eat and then some. And he says, I will arise. The young man said, these words mean I will change my position. It's a cry that says, I don't want to live like I'm living anymore. I've done what I'm doing, and I know it's not working. I know it's not getting me to where I need to be. So something needs to change. This young man changes his position and he says, this is what I'm going to do. He says, I will arise and go to my father. He has faith in his father because he knows the nature of his father. Whichever way you look at it, it's the father who has made it possible for his son to return. Because the son remembers how good his father is. And because he has this revelation, he makes the first step. He knows that his father would not turn him away. Do you realize this morning that we can only come to God because we know that he is good? We don't come to God because we know that we're good. It's quite the opposite. Our understanding may be limited, but we know that he will receive us even though we don't understand everything about him. He will receive us even though we don't have everything together yet. His grace is limitless. Our view, our perspective of who God is and what he wants with our life, though, it sometimes gets messed up. And yes, there are things that he wants from us. He wants us to live by his standards so we don't fail and falter and sin. He, don't, he doesn't want us to, to go down that slippery slope and end up where this prodigal is. And so we have a chance of making heaven our home and not getting caught in the traps of the enemies. He puts guardrails to keep us on the right path. 
But when we do falter and fail, let me tell you here this morning, when you stumble and fail and you fall over those guardrails that he has placed to keep you safe, there's grace. Somebody tell me here this morning, there's grace. And grace reaches further than we could ever lose ourselves. Hear me this morning. Grace reaches down farther than you could ever lose yourself. And it pulls you back out of where you are. So the prodigal, he makes this plan. He says, and I will say unto my father. He starts practicing this. And he says, I will say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. He knows that his sin is not just against his father, but it's also against the very laws of God. Heaven would be holding him account for his sin. He knows that those in the town where he came from will be judging him out of his sin. And he knows that if his plan goes wrong, then his life's in danger. If his father is not the man of compassion that he believes him to be, he is a dead man. He continues to practice his speech. He says, he says Father, I have... I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called your son. I'm not worthy. I have failed. Make me as one of your hired servants. I'll do anything you want me to do. It's just this. I'm, I'm tired of living the life that I'm living. I'm lost. I need you. I'll serve you. I'll do whatever it takes I know that I'm not worthy any longer because I failed you so many times. But please just accept me back as a servant. A hired servant just worked for his board and he slept on the outskirts of the firm. He says, make me one of the lowest servants. Those ones that you don't trust to be in your house anymore because you, you, you don't have that trust for them. I understand that, but but just make me one of your hired servants, one that will come in and work for you. But I understand that I have to earn that trust once again. I understand that I've done some things that, that I'm not proud of, and I'm not worthy to be called your son any longer. Perhaps the young man knew that he had to admit that he had lost the trust of his father by the way that he acted. And the Bible tells us that he arose, and he came to his father. He got bold enough. He got brave enough, and he went to his father. He put his speech into his back pocket. He makes an about face, and he heads home. But the Bible tells us when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. I love this. His father saw him. His father never took his gaze off of him. He saw him. Let me tell you this morning that God hasn't taken his eyes off of you. Hallelujah, Jesus. No matter how far that you've gone, he's still watching for your return. And just like the lady was searching her house for the lost coin, I know it must be here somewhere. It's gone missing temporarily, but I know that it's here somewhere. Just like the shepherd that goes out searching for that sheep that's gone astray. The father was on the lookout for his lost son. The Lord tells us that he had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, understand this. This is not the prodigal. This is not the son that went away from home that starts running. This is the father it's talking about. The father's compassion in this story that we see here when he sees his son return, he doesn't walk. 
he runs. He runs towards him and embraces him. The Father's compassion in this story that Jesus tells is a picture of his loving kindness to us. And we are without excuse, and yet the Father runs to us and gives us mercy and grace. We don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace. He begins delivering his speech to his father. He tells his dad, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. He doesn't even get through his entire speech. And his father turns to his servants and says this. This is what happens. He begins giving instructions on how to treat his son. Listen to me here this morning. This is what happens As we are saying, God, forgive me for wasting my life. Forgive me for coming to my own conclusions of what you're like instead of just trusting you. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I humble myself before you. As we're delivering this speech to God and we're repenting before him, it's then when we come face to face with our sin and recognize that we need the forgiveness of our heavenly father, that he runs to us and embraces us. He gives us a love that is greater than anything else that we've ever experienced before. He tells the servants to make provisions in four areas. He says, bring out the best robe. Put a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet. And bring forth the fatted calf and kill it. We're going to celebrate. By now, his clothes would have been tattered and worn from feeding the pigs. He has no jewelry, I'm sure. His shoes are worn out, and he is so hungry that he looks sick. And however, Jesus is telling the story to the scribes and Pharisees, and they knew immediately what he was saying. And it would have frustrated them, and it would have amazed them. He says, bring forth the best robe. Not just any robe. Don't just go to the closet and pull out anything. But bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Who would have owned the best robe in the family? It was the robe of the father. The father was making a declaration by this gesture and is saying, make my boy look like me. Clothe him with my righteousness. Use my good name to clear him of all that he's done. This is what happens when we turn our lives over to Christ. We look so much like our heavenly father. People who knew what we once were, they begin commenting, something about you has changed. You're not the same that you once were. Something's different. The prophet Isaiah, he wrote the words in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. He says, he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the best, with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. We are told to put on Christ. And when we do, we don't look the same. We are clothed with the Shekinah glory of God. And the Father says, and put a ring on his hand. This is not talking about a covenant ring. Uh, This is talking about a covenant ring, sorry. It's It's a signet ring, a symbol that only the Father would wear, and he would use it to do business. It It meant that whoever wore that ring would be in covenant You join yourself to that person so that no matter what may come, you don't leave. You will be my son, and I will be your father. And he says this, and shoes on his feet. In Isaiah chapter 20, 
Isaiah is asked to remove his shoes as a sign of mourning, but here in this context, it's not a time for mourning. Now is the time to rejoice. And it says, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. The shedding of this animal's blood reminds us of the covenant that we have with God. The innocent was sacrificed for the guilty. The dad, he ends his speech with this, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. As soon as pastor asked me to preach for the service today, I immediately felt to preach on this topic and I fought with it. I did because this story has been preached many times before. Then I seen Sister Marissa Carroll. She put a post on Facebook that echoed what God had put into my spirit. And then when I got into the office, I had on my desk a list of church keys that are assigned to people from Roger. And on some of them, he had marked lost. But then marked beside others, he's got them scratched out and put returned. And then when I got home, I opened up a book that I'm reading right now on Max Licato. He chose the nails, it's titled, and he tells a story that's quite similar to this. And I said, okay, God, you got my attention. I'll do what you want me to do. But when you're lost, you seem to look around desperately for something, anything to put you back on track, some sort of landmark that you can go back to and say, hey, I recognize that. I've been here before. You try every direction. One day you were fine, then maybe the next you lost your way. Maybe you can't really put your finger on what day it was, but all you know is that now you are far from where you once were. Maybe your relationship with God has been severed for some time. You don't have the prayer life that you once had. You don't read your Bible with earnestness and desire like you once did. You don't feel the presence of God sweep over you in a service just like we had this morning when everybody else seems to be getting a hold of God and worshiping. And you seem to be like, okay, God, where are you? What we don't realize is that God is waiting for you to come back home. He wants to clothe you with his righteousness. Put his sign of covenant on your life. He wants you to be his, and he will be yours. He instructs heaven to rejoice that you've made it home. So let me ask you here this morning, what are you running from? What has kept you from the Father? You've got a loving God that is telling you this morning, it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter what you've done. All that matters is that you just come home. And the Father is looking out, waiting for you. I'm talking about a God who would turn the room upside down just to find you. A God who would leave the 99 to come to your rescue. Our great God wanted to make sure that you knew that you could always come home. You could always come to Him, no matter what. So He put this story in Scripture. If I could have the music come back right now. I ran away from home as a young boy because I was convinced my parents didn't love me. They were against what I thought was right, and of course, I knew it all. 
I knew everything and they knew nothing. But I, as I get older, I remember a different story. My family and I, we were out picking blueberries. I don't have this in my notes. And so it's always dangerous when I get off track. My family and I were out picking blueberries in a field. I was just young. I was about five years old. Now, as they were down on the ground and they were picking blueberries, filling their buckets, I, for whatever reason, decided to wander off. We could all stand. That'll give you some hope that I'm coming to a close. And I had wandered off, and it was a short while afterwards, my parents looked around for me, my sisters looked around for me, and they couldn't see me. And so they be, started to become frantic. They couldn't find me, and so they started searching everywhere, the tree line, everywhere that they thought I might be, and over the hill, I wasn't there. A little ways into the woods, I wasn't this direction, I wasn't that direction. They couldn't see where I might have gone. And night was beginning to fall. It was starting to get dark. I was in the woods. I had wandered off far into the woods. And luckily, the track that I was on, by some sheer miracle, there was an individual that was walking through the woods back there on her way through the woods to her grandmother's house. And I stumbled upon her, and she had no idea how long I had been gone from. She didn't know where I came from. She just knew I'm not supposed to be here. Somehow I ended up here and she didn't really know how to get me back. And so, long story short, when we get back into the field, I was embraced by my family who were desperately trying to just find me wherever I was. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, it says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. We have all ran away from God at one point or another. We have all had rebellion in our hearts. The Bible says that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. What is witchcraft? Well, it's going against God, trying to take the place of God. And that's, that's the hurt of the devil. He was sick of not being in control. The, the devil, he, wanted, he didn't want to obey the rules of God anymore. He wanted to have the power and the glory for himself. He wanted to rule himself, go his own way. That's what rebellion does in our heart. It makes us want to be the rulers of ourselves. No one can tell us what to do. We convince ourselves that it's freedom, but if it's really freedom, then why do we feel so trapped? Understand this. The enemy is hunting you. He's hunting you. The Bible tells us that he goes about this earth like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He wants to get you into his kingdom let me tell you here this morning, you may ask yourself, well, what, do his, what does his kingdom feel like? 
I'll tell you right now, his kingdom feels like hopelessness. He knows the end of his demise. He knows what's coming for him. And so his kingdom is all based on hopelessness, despair. He creeps into your thoughts and tells you the pastor can't tell you what to do. Is that even in the Bible? Who does he think he is? God doesn't actually love you. He's not working for your good. The preacher's not trying to reach you here this morning. That's for somebody else. And if we give him space, he will enter through our minds with these types of thoughts that will then spread like cancer until it reaches our heart and turns into rebellion. And rebellion in your heart will convince you that you are free. You are free now that you don't have the restraint of the rules of God on your life anymore. Or now that you don't have to follow certain things from the Word of God because you've convinced yourself that those things are not for today. But yet somehow you still feel trapped in your soul. Every night you go to sleep, it's there. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 27, it tells us, Neither give place to the devil. How does the enemy get in to have any place in our life after all? He enters in through our thoughts. Our mind is the devil's playground. If you give him an inch, hear me this morning, if you give him an inch, he'll take your mind. I'm talking to somebody here this morning. If you dwell on any negative thought he brings to your mind, he'll creep it into your heart. And if he can get it as far as your heart, all the way from here to here, he can get you to speak it. The Bible tells us out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he'll start getting you to speak your demise over your life. I'm hopeless. God doesn't love me. The church is against me. God, you're not working for my good. Everything's against me. But let me direct your attention back to Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. I'm coming to a close. Just hold on. I, I have somewhere to go. This train, it does have a caboose at the end. It, it's coming. We're watching train cars come and come and come. It's coming to the end. It says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. All of us like sheep that have run away from the shepherd and have gotten lost. But what does the rest of the verse say? And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. While we were running from him in our rebellion, the Lord said, charge it to me. I'll take their rebellion charge it to me the things that they've done wrong the things that they've gotten their nose all at a joint on and thought that I didn't love them for lay that charge on me and he nailed it to the cross he died in my sins he died in your sins he died with your rebellious heart on that cross the blood that ran down the cross, it was because of me. It was because of you. And you say here this morning, why would he do that? Why? Why would he do that? Because he's not willing that any should perish. His grace reaches further than our rebellion does. To the one that's been running from the call of the Father on your life, his message for you has always been, just come home. To the one that has been fighting his rules because you think that you know better. His message for you has always been, just come home. He doesn't care what you've done. He doesn't care how long it's been. 
He doesn't care how far you've strayed. Just come home. Just come home. You say, well, how do I know that he'll accept me? Because I've been lost. But now I'm found. That's how I know. There's a testimony standing before you here today. I once was lost, but he found me. And so here this morning, I invite each and every person to come. Each and every person. I don't want anybody left out. I want us all to come together. Hallelujah, Jesus. He's working on somebody's heart here this morning. Let me just stop here for a minute and tell you as you're coming. Anybody that's watching and listening online that's been running from God, this is for you as well. I want you to find a place wherever you're at. Kneel at your couch. Kneel in your chair. Lift up your hands right now and just begin thanking God for His Word and accept it into your life. Hallelujah, Jesus. God speaking to us here today. Just come home. Just come home. Come on, if you've got somebody that you know of that's been running from God, I want you to come and represent them in this altar here this morning. We've all got somebody that we can we can think of and we can say, Lord, I know that you've been working on their heart for a long time. They've been running from your call for years. You've been knocking. You've been gently knocking on their heart's door. God, I want you to move on their heart here right now. Bring home the prodigals. God, this has been weighing on my heart, Jesus, because you care so deeply for each and every person. You're not willing that any should perish. Nobody gets left out. Nobody gets left behind. All have an opportunity to experience your grace and your mercy and your love that extends further than anything that we could ever fight and go away from. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. God, your arm is not too short that you can't reach down to where we're at and save us. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.